Now Jesus, he saw the crowd, so he went up and on the mountainside and he, he sat down and his disciples came to him. And uh, he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil things against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's not good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You're the light of the world. A town on a hill can't be hidden. Neither do people light a, a lamp and hide it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the room. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Matthew 5, 1 through 16, the Sermon on the Mount. That's where we're at and that's what we're getting started with. I, and, and, and I love... I love the fact that we can take this and we can see that Jesus is giving us the keys to his kingdom. And here we are. This is week three in the Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to keep walking through it. And I'm not going to memorize, I'm, I'm going to memorize the whole thing, but I'm not going to be the one that stands up here and quotes it every time. I want some of you to do it, too. So if you're memorizing it, let me know. If you're willing to come up here and, and say it at the beginning of a message one Sunday, I'd love to have you. Even if it's just the one section for the week before, I won't even make you do the whole thing. That'd be kind of cool if you did. But come on up and, and do that, because the further we go, the harder it's going to get. So keep that in mind. If you want to volunteer next week, you know, it's still going to be pretty easy. But uh, let me give you a few scenarios to think about here. Okay, what we're going to do, what I want to do is I want to compare certain situations that what they would have looked like if they happened in 1957 and what they would look like if they happened today. Okay, so you don't have to write these down. It's just kind of interesting. So, and I got, there'll be some pictures. Okay, these are what I meant by follow along with that. But here we go. Scenario number one, Jack. We've got Jack. Jack goes quail hunting before school, and he pulls into the school parking lot with his shotgun and his truck's shotgun rack. All right, 1957, what would have happened? Okay, the vice principal would have come over. He would have elected Jack's shotgun, and he would have gone to his own car to get his shotgun to show Jack. In 2015, the school goes into lockdown. The FBI is called. Jack is hauled off to jail and never sees his gun or his truck again. Counselors are called in for traumatized students and teachers. Okay? It is, isn't it? Okay. Scenario number two. Here's number two. Okay, Johnny and Mark get into a fist fight in the parking lot after school. Okay? In 1957, what would have happened? A crowd gathers. Mark wins. Johnny and Mark shake hands and end up being buddies. In 2015, the police are called. The SWAT team arrives. They arrest both Johnny and Mark and charge them with assault. Both are expelled from school, even though Johnny started it. <laughs> Interesting, okay. Scenario number three. Let's try this one out. Jeffrey will not sit still in class. He's being disruptive. 
okay? In 1957, Jeffrey is sent to the office, and he's given a good paddling by the principal. He returns to class, he sits still, and he doesn't disrupt class again. Today, Jeffrey's given a huge dose of Ritalin. He becomes a zombie. He's tested for ADHD. The school gets extra money from the state because now Jeffrey has a disability. Hmm. We're all hitting a little too close to home, aren't we? Okay, in scenario number four, the last one we'll give here. Billy breaks a window in his neighbor's car. His dad gives him a whipping with his belt. What happens in 1957? Billy's more careful next time. He grows up normal. He goes to college, and he becomes a successful businessman. In 2015, Billy's dad is arrested for child abuse. Billy's taken into state custody and put into foster care. State psychologists tell Billy's sister that she remembers being abused herself, and their dad goes to prison. Billy's mom has an affair with a psychologist. (laughs) (laughs) A lot has changed in the last 60 years, has it not? A lot has changed. Today's, as I take a look at that and as we jump in today, as we jump into this next section on the Sermon on the Mount and as we start talking about it, we're going to talk about really and answer this one simple question, why did Jesus come? Why did Jesus have to come here? And Jesus wants to address this right off the bat. I want to start off planting some of these seeds. We just talked about how much things have changed in the last 50 or 60 years in this country. Let me give you some things to illustrate. And what I want you to think about here, and I'm, I'm telling you this, I, I want to set this up by saying I am not by any means trying to be judgmental or to say you should or should, trying to tell you what kind of music or movies or TV entertainment you should partake in. That's, that's not my place. What I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to give you some examples of, of modern culture here and compare them to what we know Scripture says about godly standards, Okay? So let me tell you this. Let's start with this. I went and looked up Billboard's top five pop songs right now on, on uh, popular music on Billboard's chart. Okay? Three of the top five songs. Um, one of them is Trap Queen by Fetty Wap. <laughs> I know that's probably on most of your playlist, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> most of you are like, well, I don't even, he's not even speaking English anymore. Okay, the first verse, I just went and read the lyrics online. The very first verse talks about sex, drug use, drug money, and pole dancing in a strip club. Just verse one, okay? Uh, another song, Earned It, from the uh, soundtrack of Fifty Shades of Grey uh, by The Weeknd. The whole song is basically about a sexual one-night stand, okay? That's the whole song, that's what it's about. Uh, if you know anything about the movie, that's not surprising. Uh, another song in the top five, Uptown Funk. Um, which me and Aiden and some of us love to rock out to in the car. But, you know, we're kind of proud of that. But Mark Ronson and Bruno Mars sing this song. It's about hitting the town. It, it is loaded with sexual innuendo, getting drunk, has lots of bad language in it, actually, and girls flaunting their bodies. Here's my point, okay? If we think about that, these are things that many of us, you know, I have teenagers, so every time I turn on my car with kids in the car, I'm in sports radio when I'm in the car, but when the kids are in the car with me, these are what we're, this is what we're hearing, right? This is the kind of stuff that's just kind of normal now. I wonder how many of us are even really all that shocked when we, we hear this stuff. Let's look at a couple of the movies right now, the top movies from the past year. I'll give you a couple of them. The number one movie right now is Avengers Age of Ultron. Okay, and it's still in the theaters and it's still out there. This is actually, by our standards, what we would all can walk away from saying, man, that was really clean. That only had 11 cuss words in it. It only, it only, it, it, the, the weird thing was if you can get past the very first word of the movie is the S word, but the rest of the movie is fairly, it only, it only uses God's name in vain three times. 
you know, and, and we look at that, and, and, it's, and it's, is it interesting that we can look at that and we can say, man, that's a really wholesome movie compared to what other, some of the other things, compared to Fifty Shades of Grey. Okay, and I, I don't, I'm not, not going to say anything about it other than to say it has, of course, the use of every word imaginable, and the main characters spend as much time naked on screen as they do dressed. And, uh, and, and we have this movie being, this movie being probably one of the most popular movies of the last few years, not only the, the series of books that has captured our media's attention, has captured the entertainment world. These are the things that are being talked about. The top TV shows on Netflix. How many of you watch Netflix on at least somewhat regular basis? Like, I love Netflix. I, you know, it's so much better than watching live TV. You can watch it when you want. I love watching Netflix. But here are some, the top three shows on Netflix. Starts off with House of Cards. Any House of Cards watchers? Okay. It's a... You know, Frank Underwood is, is a politician. He and his wife will do anything to rise to power. The sad thing is I think most of us watch it are going, man, that's probably kind of realistic. But, man, another one is uh, maybe you've watched Arrested Development. That's number two show on Netflix right now, Arrested Development, about this extremely dysfunctional family. A lot of, it's just, uh, you're watching this family, and they're kind of glorifying just about everything that we would consider dysfunctional, uh, including incestuous undertones. Uh, Another show that's popular on Netflix, Orange is the New Black, a show about a lady that has to go to prison, and it's about her just trying to survive in prison, and, uh, and there is pretty much no topic left uncovered, and I will leave it at that. Here's my point. We start thinking and feeling like all these things are normal, and we start having these things fed into our homes and into our cars, and into our lives, and into our minds on a daily basis. And, and I'll be honest, I've gotten to the place where I don't even really notice it anymore. I don't really stop and take time to compare it to what God's standard is in Scripture. Let me read you a few passages of Scripture that, that Jesus gives us, starting with Ephesians, chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. This is... We compare some of the things I just described to you and listen to what this passage says. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. Galatians five nineteen through 21 Paul says this, these are the, the, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality and impurity and debauchery and idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Philippians 4, 8, Paul says again, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about those things. Think about such things. Listen, my point today and what I think Jesus is getting to is this. Is he's saying, guys, we're living in a world where it's obvious that God's standard is no longer recognized. Even within the church. We're living in a world today where we're being fed by entertainment, and yeah, we've got to live in this world, and we've got to walk every day in it. 
How do we guard our hearts against it and maintain a godly standard? You know, nothing's new under the sun, right? When Jesus came to earth and began his teaching and his ministry, the issues may have had different levels of severity and different labels put on them. But there was still this problem of why can't we as a culture, as a people, and as a church maintain godly standards? Why is this so hard? Here's a quote from Pope Benedict. He says this, We are moving toward a dictatorship of relativism, which does not recognize anything as for certain, and which has its highest goal as one's own ego and one's own desire. G.K. Chesterton said this, Art, like morality, consists in drawing the line somewhere. Here's the point. And I'm going to actually surprise you, I think, a little bit with what my point is. My point is not to say go cut off Netflix and quit going to movies and turn the radio off. My, my point that I want to make today and that I think Jesus was making in this next section of the Sermon on the Mount that we're about to talk to is this, is it doesn't matter how badly you want to follow the rules of religion, it is inevitable that you will fail. Now, I know that sounds kind of depressing, doesn't it? It doesn't matter how badly you want to follow all. Right, we put this godly standard, we put Ephesians 5 in front of you, right? And I just threw that up on the screen and we're reading it. There must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or greed. And I'm going, man, I'm so far from that. Every day I'm so far from that because I find myself listening and singing along to music that's so far from that. And I find myself watching things on Netflix and realizing after watching 30 minutes of a show, oh my goodness, I just took in like, how many deadly sins? And I'm I'm, I'm watching movies that, that everybody's saying, man, this is a really clean movie. Take your family to this and you get into it and by the time you walk out of it, you realize, whoa, that's our standard of clean and pure today? You know what I'm saying? Guys, we live in a world and we, we live in a world that's been taken over by sin. It just has... And we're living in it, and and we have a sinful nature too. It's attractive to us as much as we hate to admit it, even in the church. And Jesus is coming, and what he's about to say in this next part of the Sermon on the Mount, he's, he's saying, look, I know you're living in a world that is constantly distracting you and pulling you down and trying to take you away. And if you think for one second that my love for you and my desire to take you into heaven with me for all of eternity has anything to do with you following all the rules, then you're missing the point. Because if you think you following all the rules and being good enough is going to get you into heaven, you're going to fail. You understand? We're going to dig into this concept a little bit more, but the big question is this. If it's true, if it's true that no matter how badly you want to follow the rules, you're inevitably going to fail. What's your plan for getting into heaven? That's an interesting question to ponder, and I hope it's one you'll think about. And it's one that I think Jesus wanted his hearers on the sermon when he was preaching this message. So let's look at it. Let's see what Jesus says here. Matthew 5, starting in verse 17. We're going to go through verse 20 today. Covering four verses Pretty simple, but these are four verses that I think a lot of times people kind of skip over in the Sermon on the Mount because they don't necessarily understand exactly what Jesus means. And we've got to dig into it today because we're going to walk out of here today, and I think we want to understand Jesus had a reason for saying this, 
And it was important for the hearers in that day, and it's important for us to do today as well. Matthew 5, 17 through 20 says this. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, unless heaven and earth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you'll certainly not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, I think this is difficult for all of us when we read a passage like this, especially that last line, and we're going to explain it a little bit here. When Jesus says, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the prophets and the teachers of the law, that one's kind of a hard one to swallow. And I think we need to understand that maybe we've misunderstood this passage a lot of times when we've looked at it. What did Jesus mean when he said, I came not to abolish the law, the rules, I came to fulfill them. What does he mean by that? He means, what, does, what did he mean when he said, I, don't, I expect you if anyone tries to say this is no longer valid, this law no longer works, there's a new law in town now, that isn't at all why I came. The reason I came is this. And this is what we've got to figure out. What did he mean by that? And that's what we're going to talk about today. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to start off, I'm going to give you three things that Jesus did not come for. Okay, and I want you to write these down, and we're going to kind of go through this a little bit because I think Jesus did not come to do these three things. And it's important because... I think, honestly, a lot of times we get this impression that Jesus came to do these things. And whether we're in the church or outside the church, the video we showed, the reason I showed you that video is because so many people misunderstood why did Jesus come? Why did Jesus come to earth? And, and the easy answer for those of us who grew up in church is, well, he came to die on the cross and, and forgive us our sins. There's more, it's a, it's, a, it's a little more complex than that. We've got to understand what it is he came to do and to also understand what he did not come to do. And so the first thing I want us to talk about this, Jesus did not come to change God's standard. Jesus did not. He makes it clear right off the bat in the very first verse of this passage. I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. Hebrews 13, 7 and 8 gives us a little better picture of what he was talking about here. He says, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In other words, what Jesus is saying is the godly standard will never, ever, 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 ever change. God was the same at the beginning of the universe as he is today, and he will be 2,000 years from now. He is God. This is his standard. It's amazing to me. How easily we can justify sin and the erosion of our values and standards because, of, because the media and the entertainment in our world around us tells us it's okay. We're made to feel like, and, and honestly as Christians, if you do take a stand, and some of you do, if you do take a stand for godly standards, how do people make you feel about that? You're made to feel like you have to adapt and to change, to be reasonable and to fit into today's culture. If we don't, we're called judgmental. We're called narrow-minded. We, we have our heads stuck in the sand. 
we're old-fashioned, we're prudish. You fill in the blank, aren't we? If we take a stand for true godly standards, then you're going to say, well, I can't wear any, any clothes that are popular today. I can't watch any TV shows on Netflix. I can't go to any movie. I can't listen to any music. And it does feel that way sometimes, doesn't it? If I'm going to take a stand for godly standards, sometimes it does feel like, well, I can't engage this culture at all. This is ridiculous. And then if you do take a stand and say, well, man, you shouldn't be listening to that. What are they going to say? They're going to insult you. I just have a hard time imagining God standing up in heaven saying to the angels around him, well, you know, everyone else is doing it. I guess we better lower our standards a little bit or nobody's going to be up here with us. You know, who are we but a mist on the water, here one minute and gone the next? Next to the eternal God of the universe, who are we individually or, or as a culture to tell God that his standard should change because that's just how the world is today. You see, Jesus did not come to abolish the law. He came to make it clearer. He came to reinforce it and to define it so there could be no mistake as to what God's standards and expectations are for his people. And as we look at this, we understand that Jesus starts off by saying God's standard is not changing. But he does go on to say this, I did not come to highlight God's rules, in quotation marks. I didn't come to highlight God's rules. Now, I don't want you to understand me, misunderstand me. I don't want you to hear me saying, when I say God didn't, Jesus didn't come to highlight God's rules. I'm not saying that the rules are no longer important, that the Old Testament we should just throw out. The Ten Commandments are no longer valid. Jesus already made that clear. I didn't come to abolish it. I came to fulfill it. Nobody better change it. But he didn't come to highlight the rules. And I'm going to explain that a little better as we go. But let's do it. I want to do it using a story from Matthew chapter 19 that you all know. It's, called, it's the story of the rich young man or the rich young ruler. You've heard this story before, haven't you? Okay, let's read it together really quick. It says, just then a man came up to Jesus and he asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Well, why do you ask me, Jesus says, about what is good? Well, there's only one who's good, the man said, or Jesus was saying this, there's only one who's good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Well, which one? The man replied. Jesus replied, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus gave him a list of rules, didn't he? Ten commandments. All these I've kept, the young man said. I can imagine his face lights up. Yes, all these I've kept. I've done it. Well, what? okay, anything else? What do I still lack? Look at what Jesus says to him. Jesus answered, well, if you want to be perfect, go and sell your possessions and give everything to the poor. Then you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sad. Because he had great wealth. What's the point of that story? What do, you, what do you take from that? I find it interesting that Jesus started off when the man first asked the question, what must I do to get eternal life? And Jesus starts naming off rules. Oh, yes. I'm following the rules. I'm doing it all right. And Jesus said, whoa, wait, hang on. I want you to get rid of everything. I want you 
to get rid of the thing that you love most. And I want you to submit your life completely to following me. Wait. The rules are easier. Give me, give me the rules one more time. I can do that. No. Jesus knew that this man's God was not the Lord God. Jesus knew that this man's God was his money. And Jesus says, you know, I'm not here to highlight the rules. I'm not here to say, well, if you just check the marks off the list, don't commit adultery and don't steal and murder and you go to church every week and, you know, don't beat your kids too bad and all that kind of stuff, then you get to go to heaven. (laughs) He was saying, man, it's so much more than that. I want to be the Lord of your life. I want you to completely submit yourself to me. And then we all of a sudden got to stop and think, what would he say to me? If I walked up to Jesus right now and said, God, what do I need to get eternal life? I'm trying my best to follow the rules. Man, it's not about the rules. It's about full submission to me. Would you be willing to give up anything for Jesus to be the Lord of your life? Really? You have gods in your life, don't you? That come before Lord God. Are you willing to give those up? You see, Jesus didn't come to highlight the rules. His purpose was much bigger than that. Another thing Jesus did not come to do is to honor our self-righteousness. Jesus did not come to honor our self-righteousness. Matthew 5.20, the very last line that we read in this section of the Sermon on the Mount, it says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and of the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Look at what Romans 3 says. It might give us a little more understanding of what Jesus meant there. Romans 3, 10 through 12 says, As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who sees God. All have turned away and they together have become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. You see, the rich young man kept saying, Jesus, tell me, tell me I'm good. I mean, come on. I've never committed adultery. I've never stolen. I've never murdered. I go to synagogue all the time. I'm good. Look at me. I wonder how many of us in there are going, Jesus, look how good I am. I'm at First Christian on Memorial Day weekend. Woo! I'm good. I'm, you know, I'm going to go serve on the 4th of July thing. I'm going to show up and do all the good stuff. And I promise I'm not going to murder people if they will leave me alone. I promise I'm going to be good. Look at my righteousness. Jesus did not come to pat you on the head and say, good boy. You're doing so good. I'm just going to let you in. Come on, let's go. Compared to the righteousness that Jesus is talking about, that righteousness that's God's righteousness, none of us is. The rich young man wanted Jesus to pat him on the head and say, good job. Come on in. Jesus did not come to honor our self-righteousness. His purpose was much bigger. So with all those things in mind, let's talk about what he did come for. Why did Jesus come? 
The first one is this. Jesus came to change our hearts. Jesus came to change our hearts, not God's standards. He came to change our hearts. Look at what 2 Corinthians 5.17 says. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. I started thinking as I was preparing this, I started thinking of some different examples of changed hearts, of that's what Jesus is looking for. Not just a group of people who are following the rules, like the rich young man, but people who've really changed from the inside out. Like, for instance, Nicodemus, the Pharisee, who came in the middle of the night to talk to Jesus because there was something in his heart saying, this is some, there's something bigger going on here. See, he was a Pharisee, Nicodemus was, and he did follow all the rules. He was a teacher of the law. He was one of the head guys in all the land over the religious people, over the Jews. He was one of God's guys at least according to their culture. And he was saying, Jesus, I'm sensing from what I'm hearing from you, there's something more to this that I'm missing. And Jesus says, you got to be born again. What? Born again? And Jesus goes on to explain, what I mean by that is, I'm not looking for people to follow rules. I'm looking for people to have a changed heart. From the inside out. He does the same thing in, in Matthew chapter 23 when he's talking to the Pharisees as a group. The Pharisees are, are sitting there and Jesus says, Woe to you, you teachers of the law, you Pharisees, you hypocrites, you brood of vipers. He's calling them all kinds of names. He was just like, you look great on the outside, but you're kind of like a, a tomb that someone's been taking care of. You're all whitewashed and clean and beautiful on the outside, but the inside, you're just full of dead men's bones. You're full of hypocrisy and wickedness on the inside. When I start to think about that, I start to think about myself. I might look good on the outside going to church and, and being the preacher and standing up and all. And, and you guys, I mean, you know, most of you look pretty good. I won't call it names, but, you know, we look good on the outside. We're doing the right things. We're following the rules. But the question is this, what's it like in here? Jesus didn't come to change God's standards or to enforce a list of rules, he came to change what's in here. Has that happened for you from the inside out? Are you offering him something from the inside that's clean, that's going to honor him? The next thing Jesus came to do was he didn't come to highlight the rules as we've already said. He came to highlight our relationship with God. He didn't come to highlight religion. He came to highlight relationship. You see, in John chapter 10, there's a situation where Jesus is talking with the Pharisees, and they're kind of questioning his authority, and some things are happening there. And Jesus begins to talk to them and compare himself to a shepherd and to the people that follow him as sheep. And he's also saying to them that all people that are God's people, they're sheep. And he's saying, I'm the shepherd. He goes, you guys, you Pharisees, you guys have been tasked with taking care of them and teaching them and trying to lead them and show them the way. But at the end of the day, you don't really care about them. At the end of the day, you just want to make sure they know the rules. You just want to make sure that they follow the rules. And you go start making up your own rules too. Rules, rules, rules. Let's just follow rules and we'll all be religious and we'll all be happy. And Jesus is saying you're completely missing the point. In John 10, 10 and 11, he says this, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and to destroy. I have come that they may have life 
and have it to the full. I'm the good shepherd, and the shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The rich young man that we talked about earlier, Jesus was telling this man as he walked away sad, it isn't about following rules. It's about having a relationship with him where you're willing to completely submit your life to following him. Jesus knew that the one thing that would keep the rich man from following him is his money. When Jesus said it's not about rules, it's about giving up everything and having me as the king of your life. When Jesus said that to him, he went away sad. He could follow rules, but he wasn't willing to give up his God. And that's what Jesus wanted to do. He wanted to highlight the fact that this isn't religion. This is a relationship. This is a submission of yourself to Jesus fully. And the third thing that I think Jesus was talking about in this passage was this, is he came to offer God's righteousness in place of our own. He came to offer God's righteousness Romans 3, that passage I just read you a few minutes ago, later in that chapter, verses 21 to 24, says this, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Guys, quit trying to do it on your own. This is what Jesus was saying. I'm offering you a free gift, the gift of grace. Jesus was saying, I am the righteous one. I come to offer a righteousness to you so that you can stand before God, not because of your goodness, but because of my goodness. Jesus stands up before those people that were there on that mountainside in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fill it. But I've got to tell you this, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the very best people in the entire world, the Pharisees and the scribes, unless your righteousness is better than theirs, you can't do this. You see, Jesus wasn't saying, you've got to be really, really good. When he said, your righteousness needs to surpass that of the Pharisees, he wasn't telling them you need to be really good. He was saying, you can't do it on your own. It's impossible. The people then would have understood Jesus as saying, when he said, your righteousness should surpass that of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, they would have heard it. Well, they're the best ones. They're the cream of the crop. How can we surpass them? That's what they would have been hearing. And Jesus said, that's the point. They're not even the standard. They're not even close. You can't do this on your own. It's inevitable if you try to earn your way into heaven by being good, it is inevitable that you are going to fall short. You are going to fail. Jesus is saying, that's why I'm here. I want you to understand this isn't about you and your strength and your goodness and your good deeds. It's about me. Do you really want to stand before God and try to get into heaven based on your own goodness, based on your own good deeds, based on what's in your heart? Do you really want to stand before God and get into heaven just based on that alone? What about when Jesus says, 
sell everything. What about when he calls you to do something difficult and radical? Go on a mission trip. Go into the mission field. Plant a church. Do whatever it takes to reach Monroe for Jesus. And on and on and on. You see, he calls all of us to some pretty hard things. And I'm just going to be honest with you. At the end of the day, I'm going to fail at a lot of it. Not because I want to, but because I'm human and I live in this world that's constantly trying to pull me down and every now and then it gets a hook in me and it succeeds, you know? As for me, I need Jesus. Without his righteousness, I have no hope. And that's why he came. A religion built on following rules and self-righteousness will not save you. Only a relationship built on trust and submission to Jesus' will. Over the next few weeks, as we continue through chapter 5 of the Sermon on the Mount and Matthew, we're going to see some examples that Jesus gives when he says, I'm not here to highlight rules. I'm here to change your heart. I'm here to see what's on the inside and see if you're really ready to submit yourself to me completely. And I want to help you any way I can. And so we're going to take a deeper look into that and some different topics dealing with adultery and, and divorce and, and commitments and lies and truth. And there are a lot of different things if you read ahead in Matthew 5 and 6 that Jesus gets into. This is what it meant. This is what the law meant. This is what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. And we're going to dig into that. But today we're going to end at this point and say, am I ready to give up trying to do this on my own? Am I ready to say, God, I want you to come in and change me from the inside out. I want your spirit to guide me. I need your grace to fill me. I'm tired of trying to be good. I just want to be right with you. We're going to offer an invitation like we do every week, and we're going to sing a song. And you can do whatever you need to do during that song. In response, you can come forward and pray, and we'll have some people from our prayer team up here ready to pray with you if that's what you want. If you need to talk to them, if there's a decision that you want to make, whether we're talking about baptism, committing your life to Jesus, joining this church, anything that's on your heart and mind that you want to talk about more, come up and we'll talk about that. We'll have that conversation. Maybe you just need to stand right where you are and say, God, I'm trying, I'm, I'm tired of trying to do this on my own. I need your righteousness to cover me because I'm failing miserably and I'm tired of being frustrated and angry and down on myself about it. I need your spirit. Pray about these things. It changes everything when you learn that God's righteousness is what you need and you're never going to do it on your own. Pray with me, please. Father, we, uh, we've come to this place this, this weekend to to honor a lot of things as we talk about the military and, and, and those who've served our country and, and given their life. And as we look at your son Jesus on the cross and what he did for us and, and Lord, all these different things that, that we memorialize, that we want to remember, that we want to honor. And God, right now, I pray that the culmination of all these things comes to this point right now where we can say, God, we want to give you our lives in exchange for the life you've given us through Jesus God, we're tired of being perfect or trying to be. 
and failing. We're tired of feeling beat up, like I can't do it, I can't do good enough. God, we just need you to fill us up and, and to let your grace pour out on us and to help us see what it means to really submit our lives to you. God, I pray that as we leave this room, this time of worship together, we will leave with a new confidence in your love for us and you're filling us with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you please stand? We're going to sing this.